is Popcorn for Breakfast, presented by St. Louis Area Smoothie Kings. Now, here are your hosts, Cam and Kirk. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Popcorn for Breakfast. This is the movie review podcast where we review movies and try not to act like huge snobs. That's kind of our whole shtick, right, Cam? That's right. We want it to be accessible. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of schnobs, schnobbery. I'm adding yeah. an sh there, because um, I like it better. Uh, Schnob. There's some schnobbery in, in this industry, and I think that people feel intimidated by it. And if there's one thing you shouldn't feel intimidated about, it's movies. Right, right. Because it, it's it's the, one of the great joys in life to sit down and sink your teeth into a new movie. If I have to go to a dictionary to read your review on the movie <sighs> that I'm watching, you've gone too far. You've gone yeah, too far. It's would, tough. We can't it's, come back from that. A lot of reviews, they become a big, like, um, word contest. You know, like, what's the biggest, most complicated word I can use here to yeah. describe this? And uh, I think that that's silly. So this week, we're going to keep it the most simple we've ever kept it. I'm going to do this movie promise. good. We're <laughs> going to be like caveman. <laughs> caveman. Throughout the entire, the entire process. Um, so let's warm you up with the synopsis. He's blue. He's beetly. He's blue beetly. <laughs> there is no way. There's no way. That's right. Blue Beetle coming from the DC Extended Universe, uh, helmed by Peter Safran and James Gunn. Kind of. This was before their time, but they probably tweaked it a bit once they stepped into their role, don't you think? Well, I saw in the credits it was a Safran Company production. Yeah. So he, I guess, may have been helming it already. Okay. I don't know. This... This is where things get really confusing. Yeah. Because it's like, there's the DCU, mm-hmm. and then there's DC Elseworlds, mm-hmm. which is like, the DCU is their interconnected universe. And then any other movies, like the Batman, for, ex- for example, yeah. and Joker, that are not in their interconnected universe are part of DC Elseworlds. Well, this movie is not a DCU movie. It still belongs to the DC Extended Universe, but... James Gunn has said that Blue Beetle is the first DCU character. Even though Superman Legacy will be the beginning of the Will be DCU. the first DCU movie. If you're still with us, we don't know what any of this means. No. It's like a bunch, it's like a Venn diagram, but we don't know where one circle begins and the other merges and, and where the the merged continuity is. But if you're still with us after all of that. I'm not even with us after <laughs> all of that. I'm confused. Let's talk about what this is. Blue Beetle, it's it's this incredible superhero uh, in summoning an ancient scarab ancestral superpower combined with a superhero vigilante's genius mind. The Blue Scarab powers the Blue Beetle suit and powers to rule the world not really rule the world but really to uh, protect the world protect the host that it it, it uh, takes over that it uh, takes hostage if you will and protect and evaluate the life around it is really what the blue beetle is about yeah kind of like the star trek uh prime directive is to preserve all good life yes i think that's exactly how captain kirk says it in star trek Trekkies, hear me out. You uh, would know, yeah. I was going to say that's a, that's that's above my pay grade. <laughs> I forgot it. I just remember Prime Directive, Captain Kirk, and I just kind of go from there. Um, so we're going to talk about Blue Beetle today. It's a, a very fun movie. It's out in theaters right now. You can go get your ticket after this. This is a spoiler-free review of the film, and you can chat with us online about it and tell us what you think and tell us if the accolades that you hear us give you today 
if those are the same ones you would, or if you want to say, no, 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 friend, I would absolutely give this award to person A, and I would absolutely shine a light on the production in this way versus how you said it. So we'll kick it off. I don't know who goes first this time, Cam. Me, you went first last time. All right. I am already at a disadvantage yeah. in this, in this so episode. It's over for you. So let's go ahead. We're going to talk about, and the Oscar goes to, which is the best actor, in your opinion, of Blue Beetle. Are you worried about your first pick? I'm absolutely horrified. Do you not have a backup? These are your rules, Kirk. These are my rules. That's right. I cannot pick whatever Cameron says throughout yes. the rest of this entire episode and review. I do have a couple of backups, but I don't know where to go. It's just not, All right. not fair, especially this category. Well, that sounds like a you problem, Kirk. It doesn't <laughs> sound like a me problem. So I'm going to go with our leading man, uh, played by Sholo Maridueña. Um, he plays Jaime Reyes in this movie, who is... You know, a very a very good uh, kind of base-level, well-rounded sort of superhero origin character. He's not amazing at anything. He's, he's your mild-mannered alter ego. You know, he's just yeah. kind of like good kid, you know, ambitious, uh, but isn't somebody who's spectacular at any particular thing but, or just supremely physically disadvantaged at any any particular thing. And so that makes him, um, I think, a very good kind of baseline alter ego for the film. Uh, this is a, a movie that is filled with a lot of uneven performances, and I would go as far as to say even um, our leading man, Sholo Mariduena's performance is a little bit uneven. You know him from Cobra Kai, so he is a seasoned actor. He's been involved in a few different major productions and is very talented. And I think by the end of this movie, you see all that talent on full display. But it's not it's not there the whole time. It's consistent. It's inconsistent. Um, there are times, particularly in the first half of the movie, where there's some struggles with line delivery. But those struggles aren't isolated to just him. It's really everybody uh, at, at specific times. But... He builds an amazing character arc with um, how he sort of comes into his own and how, uh, you know, like any superhero, how through their superpowers they find a different version of themselves that's maybe more confident or, or maybe more whatever. Um, they find something new about themselves because they're always kind of in this like self-discovery stage. And I think Jaime Reyes is no different from that. And so... He, he does an amazing job of showing that journey. It's a bit of a coming-of-age story. It's a bit of a story of um, what it's like to be, uh, you know, Latino, you know, Latino-American in this kind of, like, alternate version of the, of the world that they live in. Yep. You have to remember the DC universe is, like, reality-adjacent. So, like, it's the U.S., but they have cities like Metropolis and Gotham that we don't have, so... That's always something to factor in. Um, but through through all of that, I think Sholo does an excellent job of building this character and gives himself a really nice arc and, and, and lots of uh, fun little character character traits to to build off of and, and overall turns in a great origin performance. Yeah, I love yeah, reality adjacent. The this time frame takes somewhere between 
Um, if you if you had to pinpoint it, Big Hero Six is kind of like an alternate reality yeah. of a location. If you if you combine that with like Arnold Schwarzenegger's Sixth Day clone movie and maybe a little bit of Minority Report, but like Total Recall, fifteen <laughs> yeah. years before, <laughs> that's kind of like what kind of time era that we're in. I mean, Susan Sarandon has a phone that's just completely clear, and mm-hmm. I don't even know how the mechanics of that work. Yeah, and like all the skyscrapers have like giant digital displays on them. There's like holographic yeah. advertisements and things like that so it's like nothing too crazy really but like different enough from reality to definitely feel that you're somewhere else right we're right to allow you to be immersed in how the blue beetle works and how people are like man here's another superhero all right i guess this is the thing now (laughs) right so excellent choice that would have been my 100 choice i'm mad at you i'm not going to talk to you the rest of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) so my oscar today goes to then my second in command i'm gonna go george lopez all right as the as the best actor you said there's a lot of uneven performances that's absolutely true the most consistent performance that we get in this film is probably george lopez Um, He's a comedian. He has been around for a very long time, very prominent, had his own TV show, has now rebooted his TV show, Mr. George Lopez. And I've never, ever said that I was a George Lopez fan. Mm. I would venture to say that I've avoided all of his previous work because it just wasn't my style. And the way that he approached this character in its absolute insanity and and love as well so this insane insane a kind of destructive character in how spontaneous he is and without responsibility he's the uncle that lives with the family and he's just so chaotic but he has so much love and because of that there's a lot of great humor that comes out of it and i was actually actually able to enjoy his entire performance mm. um Okay, there's only one moment like near the end that I was like, please stop. (laughs) He milked it a little bit too long. But other than that brief moment, I was very pleased with George Lopez's performance. And I'm glad that he's in this universe. I think that he could be a very big player in the DCU, whatever that looks like in the future, to, to bring him into it, to bring him into the fold. I really loved it. Big home run right there. Yeah. With that said... We're ready for our next category, just like that. We're moving today. The next one is going to be talking about the scene stealer. Mm, okay, mm-hmm. and you know, for the record, we can't talk about uh, Sholo. We can't talk about George Lopez, who is the actor or actress who really uh, stole the show every time they were on scene. They lit up the camera and take it away, Cam. Your scene stealer. For me, when you you know, I'm a big narrative guy, and, and once you start to get into the story of this movie, the the heart and soul of this movie to me is. Uh, Jaime's parents. Yeah. And I have to go with Damien Alcazar. Um, I'm, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Who plays Alberto Reyes, who's Jaime's father. Um, talk about consistent. This guy, this guy turns in an incredibly consistent performance and, uh, you know, he's seasoned vet. He's been in a ton of, a ton of projects. He's been in some, um, you know, foreign language programming, things like that. I guess, uh, that's not, I don't know if that's international, I don't know what the correct term is now. They changed it in the Oscars from like foreign language oh, to international, that's right, that's right. things like that. Um, but lots of like Spanish language uh, television type things. Um, he's had a lot of good roles. I, mean, I thought he was so great in this movie. He, he to me, kind of is the beating heartbeat of this movie, just injecting. He, he grounds it um, so many times where you're like, okay, we've got a lot of characters going on. There's a lot happening. You have like a really grounded scene with him 
and a couple of members of the family or him and Jaime. And you're just like, all right, the compass of the movie, I can see where we're pointing. I can see where we're, where we need to go. The purpose, all the messaging, it's kind of tied up in there. And he definitely understood that about this role and just delivered it perfectly. Uh, this character it's, is to me a very relatable character. I, f- I feel like, um, just this kind of like I idealistic father role. And, um, it just really touched me. I thought his performance was beautiful. I thought he went about it in a very thoughtful mm-hmm. and um, intentional way and just ended up turning in a very, very, very good performance. It's so true. I, I do love how, how perfect of a dad he is. A lot of the times you, you might see that in a movie and you're like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> but in this one, it, because of the, the genuineness uh, from the actor it just it really shone through as a super believable it reminded me of your dad because i think of your dad that's as the- exactly what came to my mind it was it's it's absolutely that it's like yeah uh jackie my wife is always like i hate when characters are too perfect they have to be real they have to be human and i fall into that camp too and there's there's been a few characters over the years that i'm like okay you're allowed to be this perfect and this is one of those this is yeah. one of those characters where you're like it just comes across as so authentic yeah and like my dad is an amazing guy, somebody mm-hmm. who I look up to a, a tremendous amount. And so I was able to relate to that on a personal level and was just like, this guy exists. This guy is real. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really a moving performance. Right. He's, he's unwavering in positivity. He's unwavering on his beliefs. And he is so encouraging to uh-huh. his son and, and to all of his family. Just a person with perspective. Yes. You know? And even to crazy Uncle Rudy, his brother. <laughs> He's like, yeah. you're insane, but you can still live here, and I love you, and yeah, exactly. we're going to get through this. You kind of balance me out, but I'm not going to change. It's not even like an odd couple situation no. when you see them together. They're just their own people, and they, they just love each other. It's it's beautiful. It's awesome. It really is. Family. It's beautiful. Um, so my scene stealer, I'm going to take a little different approach. My scene stealer, uh, for all the wrong reasons, I'm picking Susan Sarandon today. Oh, man. From from the 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 feet of giants, Thelma and Louise, the client, um, stepmom. I mean, Susan Sarandon has been in cinema for such a long time yes. and disappeared. I don't know why for a long time, but holy cow. I don't know if it was a miscasting. I don't know if it was a misunderstanding of what this role was. But my scene stealer today is for all the wrong reasons. She was not good in this role. And I hate to bash on someone while giving them an award. This is like a Razzie. But I don't understand how it could have gone so awry. I don't understand how you as the casting team, you as the director, you as the producer, you see her on camera. You're like, great, we got Susan Sarandon. And you say, oh my gosh, this is not working. You yeah. need to correct it before it goes ever hits the theater. And they never corrected it. I mean, she stepped into the scene. I'm rooting for her every time, Cam. She comes in, she comes out. And when she when she hit the screen, I was like, all right, maybe this scene won't be as bad. And she was consistently bad. So I don't know what's happening in her personal life. Maybe she was distracted during this filming. But f- again, I was so upset by how terrible of a villain we got in this movie. I think miscasting is the right way to put it. I, I, cause I was, I too was at a loss. We don't really talk about these movies before we review them at all. Yeah. But the one thing I texted Kirk in the middle of this movie, cause again, I was in an auditorium. It was the middle. Yeah. It was, I was in an auditorium, like basically by myself. I texted Kirk and I said, Susan Sarandon needs to retire immediately. If this, <laughs> you know, like this, if this is indicative of where she's at, 
then I think it's best for all parties that she move on because I'm talking every line delivery was off kilter. Yeah. Every single one, none of them landed. All of them came off as stiff, off character, off tone, everything. It was just not a good fit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened here. There's this weird trope or or this weird thing where you're an actor and they just think you need to act until you die. But I think that people like Joe Pesci, like Jack Nicholson, um, and several others are are saying, no, good, I'm I'm retiring. It's going to be real hard to get me out of retirement where I can just gain weight and and enjoy my life and not be camera ready all the time. Right. So I think that there's a lot of people who are in that boat that should take that ticket and, and just sail on with it. So hopefully again, this was a miscasting situation. Um, but Susan Sarandon, I'm sorry, you broke my heart today. I think it's possible. The writers don't know how to write for women very well, potentially because I felt like to diff for different reasons, all of the women had moments of struggling and mm-hmm. some, some of them were just kind of bad throughout. And I felt like a, a lot of it at times was the dialogue and it was just like, this doesn't feel like an actual conversation. That's a good point. Um, because like I, I thought, um, you know, the, the actor who played Jenny cord, um, Bruna Marquezine, again, probably not pronouncing that terribly. Um, Belissa Escobedo, um, there was a lot of times where the stuff they were reading, I was like, is this the script? Like, <laughs> yeah. this is awful. I think it was. And I think Belissa's character, this as the sister, had an opportunity to ad-lib more. Yeah. And I feel like hers was the strongest written character. When but... she would ad-lib, you could tell, and it was good. Yes. It was like, oh, okay, that felt real. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Let me get some uh, life into this character. Yes. <laughs> some shape into this character versus, I'm your sister, and I'm going to... Pick on you. The way that character was written, I was just like, really? This yeah. is what we're going for? Because early in the movie, it was just like... Oof. This is a really bad it section. It was really bad. And it like turns into a plot point, so look out for that. Um, before we continue, we've got two more categories to talk about. We've, we've got upcoming Showstopper, which is our favorite part of the production of this film, and Director's Shoes, where we go ahead and put our own... Uh, we exchange shoes with the director. He comes in. Whatever size it is, it's great. Uh, it might be a little smelly. And you know, just stop me it's whenever, true. whenever you can. Here, <laughs> I was I was uh, disassociating. <laughs> Sorry. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Before we move on to this very exciting thing that I've just pitched to you, I want to talk about our sponsor, our premier sponsor for popcorn for breakfast, and how exciting it is to just keep talking about them. Um, I don't. I I really am just uh, an advocate for this. Um, I hope that all of our our future sponsors, big and small, that we really like them. I never want to have a sponsor that we dislike but this one's yes. so easy to like smoothie king it's a meal replacement in in most cases there's, there's also a healthy al- or healthier alternative for your sweet treats that you want to grab uh there's over a thousand different combinations i'm claiming i there definitely are because if you're talking about permutations like com- combining yes there there are millions a thousand different combinations of delicious smoothies in three different sizes for you there's smoothies there's there's smoothie bowls now who knows what else this company is going to think of next where you can get your incredible innovative smoothie blend today there's ingredients there's additives that that help you start your day right end your day right and just really elevate you to another day to rule the day cam i heard you went to smoothie king today is that right i did i went to the 660 carlisle avenue location here in belleville and uh went to grab some smoothies for myself my wife my wonderful mother-in-law and here's the thing i like about smoothie king you know how whenever you are ordering for a group um 
if you're ordering from a specific place, you can kind of guess what people are going to order because there's yeah. only like a couple things on the menu that are like marquee items. At Smoothie King, it's like you, it's like that scene in uh, 101 Dalmatians where everybody's walking by and they've got a different dog and that dog like matches their personality. Yes. The smoothies are kind of like that. Like you Gosh. hear somebody's smoothie order and you're like, you know what? That makes sense for you. That's a that's a good smoothie. And so we all three got different smoothies. And I thought, how many how many places would you go where you order with all adults and everybody gets something different? I feel like there's not many uh, like fast places like that. No. And Smoothie King is definitely one of them because you can customize it to just like an extreme level. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about it because I feel very much like what I've chosen is very specific to me and is delicious to me and. Uh, that's what makes it so great. Right. I think they're more innovative than iPhone. You know, Apple has always been about customizing to to the person. Yes. Know, with different colors and different sizes and different features. I think Smoothie King blows them out of the water. And that's just exactly why we chose them as our partner here for Popcorn for Breakfast. For sure. So the next time you're out, the next time you're looking for something, whether it's a treat, whether it's your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, your liner, your brunch, whatever it might be, just choose Smoothie King because it's delicious and it's the only way to start and end your day. Well, with all that said, Cam, I think I'm fully ready and nourished to talk about our next category, which happens to be the showstopper. This is about production value. This yes. is about, it can be about the entire thing. It can be about a theme. It can be about a sequence in the film. Uh, mm. Whatever you're feeling, whatever got you when you were watching this movie, tell us what absolutely rocked your socks off. Yeah, it's the third act. Ooh. The third act of this movie goes unbelievably hard. <laughs> like, to the point where I was like, very surprised because the difference between act one, let's say versus the final act of the movie act three mm-hmm. is I uh, could not be more different. Like you can tell through the aesthetic of the movie at times in the first half that like they're taking inspiration from nineties, uh, you know, late eighties or sorry, mid to late eighties, like nineties type of, of theming um, with the kind of like, uh, electronica music that they're using the the fonts and design of it the the overall texture of of lighting and things like that that they're using you can tell but it's it's never as clear as it is in the third act yeah. where they just go full on where like all the music is amped up amazing score i thought the score was great um the effects that they're the visual effects were a little bit nineties in terms of their movement and their, uh, the way they were pulled together. And it just, it all kind of came into focus where you've got this sort of like mighty Morphin power Rangers vibe going on. And the third act was the time where it started to feel intentional and there was a clear direction and it flowed through every aspect of the film from the, literally the costume design, the script, um, the the music, the lighting, the the VFX, every single aspect of it was on theme and moving in the same direction. And it was like, okay, this was the vision. Mm-hmm. This is where the vision culminates and this is where it all comes together. And it's awesome. It's paced great. It, it just really does very well in that third act. And you feel a little bit like, okay, 
this is this is what they were trying to get to, and I'm glad that I'm here for this. So oh. for me, it's that third act. I love it. It came together for you, right? Yes, then, it right did. Then in there. So yeah, it's funny because I've heard um, just preliminarily um, people saying that they they didn't like the, the very mixed people either loved the third act or didn't. I'm in the same boat. I loved the third yeah, act as yeah. well. Um, so I don't know how you don't love it because it really does. It's just so much bolder. It's yeah. so much more. It's so much more pointed in its intent and and creative direction. And I think like. Through the, f- you know, through the first part of the movie, you're you're kind of looking for that. Mm-hmm. You're like, what 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 is the creative direction that we're going for? What's the visual aesthetic? What are we trying to achieve? What's the tone? Mm-hmm. And it's just so inconsistent. In the third act, you're like, oh, this is what they were trying to do the whole time, and now it's actually working. Yeah. Um. And it it's it's kind of awesome. I love that. I love that for you, Kim. Thanks, man. Thank you. My showstopper has to be when we are introduced to the Blue Beetle when mm-hmm. it when it comes out of uh, out of nowhere. You've seen it in the trailer how it attacks our main character's face, <laughs> and <laughs> the entire family is involved in this scene. And there is just like blood curdling screams. It looks like a horror film. I think that uh, show though came out and said that it's like an introduction for David Cronenberg films. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I love that. That is hilarious. It's like a PG version of that. Like, it's so gripping because you're like, all right, here's the big moment. How do you introduce a new superhero character to film? How do you make this compelling? How do you make it unique? How do you really hit a home run with this? And I feel like they really did. Uh, from from every inch of graphics, uh, of, of CGI, of VFX, to every reaction, every single person was all in, losing their minds, horrified that this thing was taking over his body, and then, of course, becoming the Blue Beetle. There is this uncertainty, there's rockiness to the camera, and then we get to see him become the Blue Beetle and figure out, what am I doing? Uh, fly, he flies around in the suit for a few minutes, again, as you see in the trailer, and really figures it, it, the, the baseline of it out. Uh, and it's very well done. The progression of it is perfect. The amount of time that we get to see it is perfect. And just the, it's so thrilling. Like I was so thrilled. Like that's why you go to the theater. You could watch this on your iPad at home or your TV at home or your phone for the really, the really crazy people. Um, but if you, but if you're watching it at home, you, you cannot feel the, the vibrations of the, uh, of the sound system really take you to where this place ta- takes you. That opening, just that introduction was just wildly electric and I had so much fun. So that's mine when the blue beetle comes at us. Yeah, it's very fun. It's, it's extremely unique because I mean, you see it in the trailer and you don't really think anything of it. You're like, ah, here's another hero origin movie. We've seen umpteen of these by now. Right. But how many heroes like discover their suit or their powers in front of their entire family, (laughs) you know, in this like very specific way. And it's kind of funny because like, you know, uh, like Mexican culture is big on family and being together and close knit uh, community through family. And so it makes total sense for this character and it's very like authentic and that's what makes it, makes it such an awesome thing. So that's, that's really cool. Oh man, I would watch that scene over and over. It's very funny. Very, very funny. No doubt. (laughs) Next up. Let's uh, let's uh, let's destroy the director. I feel like we're we're ready here. Let's uh, take care of the director, take him out back, throw him against a wall, and tell him what was terrible. Are you ready for that? I am. I am ready. This uh, is director's shoes with Cam. Yes, yeah, so the director of this film is a gentleman by the name of Angel Manuel Soto, who has directed a lot of Spanish language films. Um, La Grana is one that 
uh, he's very well known for. Very, it was a very critically acclaimed film. I have not gotten a chance to see that movie, but I have seen his film uh, Charm City Kings, uh, which came out, I think, in 2021. It was an HBO Max movie. Some huge name producers attached to that one, uh, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, wow. um, and others. And that's a good movie with a really distinct direction to it. And you can just totally see his vision carried out in this film. Um, that was something I, I felt like wavered in this movie. So my director's shoes is really that in that first half of the movie, the visual aesthetic to me is way off it. And you can't even really recognize it when compared to the later part of the movie. So he partnered with a cinematographer uh, on this film, whose name is Pavel Pope. Pogorzelski, who has worked largely in the horror realm. So funny that you mentioned ah. horror. Makes a lot of sense now, right? Like he's worked on films. Uh, he was the cinematographer for Hereditary in Midsummer. He's worked with <sighs> Ari Aster on a lot of films. Uh, Bo is Afraid most recently. Um, and I think that for me, that sort of makes it come together a little bit because in the early part of the movie, there is just and really the first 45 minutes to an hour. There's just something off kilter about the visual aesthetic of the movie. It's like the camera angles and what they're trying to show, how they're trying to show it is good, but the lighting, the production design, the way that it comes together as a full visual experience feels cheap. It feels just really like kind of, it just feels big studio. It feels a little bit cheap and, and not artistically inspired in any sort of major way. And so part of me wonders if it's like coming from that horror realm and being used to creating that. And we're talking about extremely artistically inspired movies like Midsummer and Hereditary. There's like a very distinct visual aesthetic that they're trying to enforce in those movies. This movie in the early half doesn't really have that. So maybe without those guiding lines, it just kind of falls apart a little bit. And that's what it kind of felt like to me. It was, it was a struggle uh, because there were also things happening with the script and the acting and uh, the overall story in the first half that made it an absolute, like, I mean, you're just like trekking through (laughs) the molasses trying to get through that first part of the movie. And the visual aesthetic didn't help very much with that. So I think overall visual aesthetic in the first half was way off kilter, lighting, production design, cinematography. It wasn't working together. There were good elements here and there of each one, but it just wasn't a cohesive unit. And it just made the movie feel really like it didn't have a tone, didn't have an identity and wasn't, you know, inspired I'll in take any that. way i'll take that yeah my director's shoes i've got a couple of, of items i'll start with the one that's very similar to that is that you know these action sequences in this film were absolutely impeccable and incredible mm. like start to finish every time that the blue beetle suit was on screen it was perfect it was a practical suit and using cgi powers obviously it doesn't you know it doesn't shoot sorry. photon blasts or whatever. <laughs> sorry to spoil that part for the <laughs> listeners. Dang it. He's not actually a superhero. Sorry. Um, but like it was so incredible. And then you get these scenes where you have two characters like the dad and the son and they mm. don't know how to film it. Like it looks like yeah. it's a fan film <laughs> recorded. It does. Um, I, I, I watched the first 20 minutes of the highly anticipated Spider-Man Lotus fan film <laughs> yeah. and it looks like that. And I'm like, wait a second. These, these should be like really really high-end cameras and this is it looks exactly like it was pulled out of a fan film so I'm, I'm just very very confused by how the aesthetic could go from entirely pitch perfect mm. uh superhero action movie to 
oh, like this teenager who's going into film school next semester is is recording this. I don't get it. I don't I don't get it at all. Um, so you have that. You have uh, Susan Sarandon. I told you about her. She sucked the air out of the room. We we also had um, the the typical Hollywood. Uh, girl trope in which our leading female love interest Jenny Cord at the f- during the final act she shows up in sweatpants and a tank top while everyone else uh, is in at least like some sort of tactical gear or has a <laughs> yeah. big weapon. I think she has some sort of like small tiny weapon <laughs> to fight off these people with machine guns. It's pretty it's pretty uh, crazy that that they they missed the mark on that and very apparent when they they have a a, a gathering at the end. And she's the only one that looks out of place <laughs> with her sweatpants and tank top yeah. in a, an all-out war against the bad guys. So I think that there's a, a little thing, a little couple things that could have been tweaked here and there. Also with remembering that we're in an alternate adjacent reality. But those things could have been cleaned up for me. They could have clarified that. Like I know that like if you're a DC fan, you know to expect that. Oh, like this isn't exactly America today. Like yeah. we there's Gotham City, there's Metropolis, there's technology that exists here that doesn't exist elsewhere. Like you're trying to make this uh, you know, an evergreen sort of film that can exist without that context. And so put something on there that says like universe whatever. I don't know, just like yeah. like dictate some way to communicate to people you are not in your world. Because I think to people who don't know, and even for me as somebody who, you know, is kind of getting reacquainted with this character, um, it, it's confusing. Right. You're like, wait a second. So am I supposed to think that this is our reality? That's clearly not, but this kind of is. It's just, it is confusing. Right, right. I mean, back to Susan Sarandon's clear phone. I mean, I really thought... You're like, well, we don't have that. I thought it was a phone case. You know how, like, on TikTok, where (laughs) they film with, like, a phone case that's empty, and you're like, oh, they're pretending that's their phone. (laughs) And that's what it looked like. I'm like, wow, someone really dropped the ball here. But no, it's, like, a futuristic thing. (laughs) Uh, And again, to reference Big Hero 6, you get a lot of world building that this is an adjacent world. San Francisco, this is not real. It's a different place, right. Uh, So I, I love... I love that it, it really it really could have helped it really could have helped agree um so now's the time cam it's time to score this thing with and give us your final thoughts this is tough mm-hmm. because i'm having and I, i've been struggling this i saw this last night so i've been struggling with this for the better part of 24 hours trying to reconcile how bad the first act was with how good i thought the third act was and the middle is somewhere in between bridging the gap the second act it starts to pick up the pace. There's a little bit more purpose behind it. It does It does okay. The third act absolutely slaps. The first act, you want to go home. You're like, this is dreadful. I mean, this cannot be any worse. Um, so that's tough. Ultimately, I think the third act is more indicative of their overall vision for this character and where they want this to go. And if that's the case, then I think that that's excellent. But I have to view the whole film as a combined work. And so that inconsistency definitely hurts it. Um, the inconsistent acting performances definitely hurt it. I think again, as with all acting performances, it doesn't know it doesn't fall just on the actor. It falls on the director and the writer as well. They have to have good material and they have to have the right take and the right direction on that. There were a lot of times in this movie I felt like they didn't get the best take. And there were a lot of times where it felt like maybe we could have taken another pass at that line and seeing if there was a way to tweak it to make it sound a little more natural because it was so clunky. So I think a lot of times with the inconsistent acting, it went hand-in-hand with the directing and writing. Um, 
I do like the action. I think, again, if they had made it more clear that they were going for that kind of 90s vibe earlier, it would have made more sense when you see VFX that looks slightly outdated because it would have felt like, oh, that's, you know, on tone for the movie. And in the third act, you're like, well, that's definitely on tone. But earlier on, it's like, eh, you know, the choreography was great. The music was great. I thought the sound mixing and editing was really good. Um, so there, there's a lot of good elements here, but I can't go higher than a 6.0 out of 10. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Yeah, the the line of forgiveness in this film <laughs> and kind of pure joy, uh, it's hard. It, it, it's similar to, you know, Academy Award winning Best Picture Film Coda, uh, distributed mm. by Apple TV, was, I, I absolutely love that movie. I was super glad that it won. Um, but there, it has its flaws. But yeah. the heart of it is what made it one. It like struck a chord with a big group of people, and I was just like cheering from my from my couch when that won. And I think this is similar. Like it's not Academy Award, but it winning. But it's it's absolutely similar to. It deserves the the accolades. It deserves the love that it's getting out there uh, for people watching it because of the family that it that it invites. Um, but how do you forgive the fan film esque? part of this uh the missteps the uneven performances but then the incredible parts of it too that's it's so hard you were absolutely right it's so hard to review and score so i'm gonna go similar but not quite i'm gonna go uh, just because i really loved the heart of this story and the visual effects truly did win me over a 6.9 out of 10 kernels nice yeah good respectable scores thank you i think there's i think there's room for this character and i'm for one, excited, as confusing as it is, that uh, Jaime Reyes will be a part of the DCU. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I have no idea how this is all going to work, I'm glad he's going to be there. He's there. He's there. Yeah, he's there. It's and good. George Lopez will be there. There we go. That's what matters. <laughs> I never thought I'd be excited to say, thank you, George <laughs> Lopez, for joining the DCU. Yeah, I'll never say thank you because of the number of times that I was woken up by the George Lopez theme song. <laughs> Jumping on, on Nick that at night <laughs> at 1 a.m. in the day's state, like... George Lopez, where am I? What's happening? <laughs> then you know, like, oh man, I really gotta go to my bed. Like, I gotta get off this couch. Yeah, and I want to say this movie didn't do. This movie went below expectations. I think in the box office, it only did about twenty five million domestically. Yeah, um, the budget was right around a hundred million dollars for the movie, so that hurts. I saw some uh, f- enough people on film Twitter insinuate this that I feel like I want to comment on it. That. People are not going to see this movie because it is DC. Like I saw people saying that DC essentially has negative brand equity. And so people see that it's a DC movie and they avoid it. I was like, I mean, I I may be way off base here, but I think the reason people aren't seeing this movie is because they're like, who the heck is blue beetle? Yeah. This is not an a list character and comic book fans like this character now, because I think, well, he, he was popular back in the day, but now uh, he and Booster Gold are kind of teamed up for these boost blue and gold comics, and people really like them as a pair. That notwithstanding, the, the layman has no idea who Blue Beetle is. In fact, if you went and asked 100 people if it was DC or Marvel, there's no way more than 50% of them are getting that right. No chance. Um, so 
I think it's more that people are like, who the heck is Blue Beetle? And not, that's a DC movie. I'm not going to see that. <laughs> I will agree that DC doesn't have positive brand equity to the point where people are like, oh, that's a DC movie. I have to go see it like people were with the MCU. Yep. But I don't, definitely don't think it's the opposite. Yeah, they're mixed up for sure. Yeah, they're mixed up for sure. So we can only hope that the word gets out. Um, there's also a campaign online um, because it's a, it's also, again, the, the Latino com, uh, community is very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to other movies recently who have had an avenue if you can't afford to see the movie there are ways that you can get a free ticket to this like people are donating to a website go check it out um and then you can go ahead and pick up a ticket and you know somehow access it uh, at your local theater and go see this movie so also to that note yeah if you really like we know that the movies are an expensive thing yeah and they're a luxury for sure yes um National Cinema Day is August 27th, yes. which is less than a week from now. Uh, it's on Sunday, August 27th, $4 tickets. And I think almost every theater is participating in some way, shape or form. So if you've been on hard luck or whatever, haven't felt like you could spend money on the movies, National Cinema Day is a good day to do that. Right. So get out and support cinema on uh August 27th. Or if you have a big family, like that's like... that's It gets really cost woo. prohibitive. Yes, it Gosh, does. Come Absolutely. On. Come on. So uh, we, we love movies. We love the movie theater. And we love opportunities like that Blue Beetle is presenting, that National Cinema Day is presenting, that we can also enjoy this together. And yes. Then, and of course, uh, you can always listen to us for free here on your favorite podcast streaming platform on YouTube, free again, anywhere you get podcasts, we're here for you. You can check us out on all of our social media across all the different places, Twitter or X or Facebook or Meta, whatever they're calling themselves <laughs> these days, we will remain popcorn for breakfast. So don't forget to check us out. Check out Smoothie King, again, our premier sponsor. If you'd like to be a sponsor with us, Hit us up. DM us. We're happy to have you join us. And we also want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, the band Rhetoric, for our original amazing music. And we will see you next week. Talk to you then. Peace. Peace.